Fire, fury, power. My name is Legend. Welcome to Fuel Your Drive. Do you know my name? Welcome to Fuel Your Drive. I'm your host, Josh York. And guys, I got a great guest today. I'm super, super excited. And this is actually the first guest that I've had in a while. I've been doing a lot because I'm, I'm always listening to you guys, what you like. And I know you've been liking a lot of the one-on, the one, just not the one-on-one interviews, but more hearing from me and talking on different topics of entrepreneurship and success and so on and so forth. But today I got a great interview and a great guest. And I just want to kind of start off by reading down the list here. Successful entrepreneur in over 20 companies. Um, he's received uh, just the list goes on of awards and degrees of for his work. But something that I'm really into that, you know, we need to stop and I'm really behind is, you know, ending human trafficking. And um, I'm going to let him talk about that a little bit. But he's also an executive producer in a movie. Um, the, the, the Paul Hutchinson Award has been given to 100 doctors in Mexico for their work in helping women and children. He's led over 43 undercover, undercover missions in 15 countries to take down child trafficking, which is unbelievable. And I'm getting more excited to, talk, to have this conversation, but serves as a mentor to tons of entrepreneurs. And honestly, before we even started getting into this conversation, we just started talking about entrepreneurship because that's what I love. And he loves it. And, uh, you know, I believe everything happens for a reason. I believe the universe brings many people together for many reasons throughout life. And um, that's what's going to lead us into today's episode. So, guys, please give a round of applause and welcome to Paul Hutchinson. Paul, thank you so much for coming on Fuel Your Drive. Uh, thank you, Josh. Appreciate your time and uh, letting me share with your with your audience here. Super excited to share with them my my path to success in business and my passion for making a difference and and how those things are truly intertwined in a way that that uh, fuel each other in a beautiful way. Absolutely. So let's just get right into it, right? Like maybe let's start just a little background on yourself and how you kind of started in business and how you've achieved your success and kind of the transition to what you're doing now. Absolutely. Well, I, I since I was a little kid, my dad was a business owner, and I I wanted to be a business owner like my dad. And he said, "Paul, you're you're not going to be a good business." I said, "Why?" He said, "Because you're not any good at kissing butt." And you know, in in his business, he had to he started at the bottom and worked his way up, and he knew that I had a little bit of a problem with authority. So, he, but what we never talked about was being an entrepreneur back then. So I I went to to school to be a doctor. I wanted to be a, a pediatric cardiologist, a heart surgeon on children. And, uh, you know, fast forward today, I believe that's kind of energetically my role is 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 helping the children, rescuing, cre creating uh, platforms to heal the trauma that a 40, 50 year old person might have had when they were abused as a child as well. And so that that healing the, the hearts of children, uh, even if they're in a 30 year old man or a woman, is something I'm doing today from an entrepreneurial standpoint. Um, I changed my major to business and, and finance about two months before I was taking the MCAT in, in my medical career because I, I got in a major car accident and I set, severed the tendons in my hand. They didn't know if I'd have the, the dexterity to be a surgeon. And, um, and they said, Paul, you can be a regular doctor if you want to be. And, and I said, I don't want to be a regular anything. And I said, if I'm going to, if I'm going to, I actually said, if I'm going to be a garbage man, I'm going to own the dump. That's that's ironically, I actually owned a dump for a while. <laughs> but, and, but that was 
that was my mindset was I've got one life to live. I'm going to live it. I'm going to do it the best that I can. And I'm going to create, I'm going to build, I'm going to create value for other people in ways that are really going to make a powerful, positive impact in the lives of others. And, um, and so my, my first company that I built that was fairly successful was, was, um, called the Midwest Center for Stress and Anxiety. I own the marketing division, marketing company called Midwest Center Marketing. And what's important about this is that, that I made a decision that any company that I built would, would have a, a, a very impactful difference in the lives of other people. It wasn't just going to be something where I you know, made some money from somewhat whatever widget that was wasting their time and, and wasn't creating real value. I, I felt like if I could really give back when it came to adding value to people's lives, then the money would just come. And that's really what people need to understand about money is that it's, it's energetic. It's a, it's, it's, if somebody wants to make a million dollars, figure out how to create a million dollars with the value in the, in the lives of others. If you want to make a billion dollars, create billion or even $2 billion worth of value in the lives of other people. And, and money is just a tool of exchange of value for value. And so, um, but the, the real catalyst, Josh, that, I feel made all the difference for me was a decision that I made in my early 20s that I would be that I would give up to 20% or more of my time and and as big of a number 20% plus of of my money to to charity to making a difference and and I had a, a mentor that said if you make that decision today it'll make all of your financial things will be so much easier. And I was learning like two grand a month at the time, you know, 20% of that, that's a, that hurts. You know, I, I have to live on 1600 a month. Well, making that decision while I was broke, I believe was the catalyst for the success and everything else. In fact, um, I can point to hundreds of examples of the growth of my businesses that were tied to big sacrifices in in charity and i uh, i served on the uh, on a bunch of different board of directors i was serving on a lot of different charities i decided to focus my energy on on children just because that's kind of my passion when i was younger was was helping kids and so i i served on the make a wish board of directors for 7 years and uh i was I, I donated time for the Ronald McDonald House and and uh, One Life at a Time and a bunch of different charities relating to children. And every single time that I did that, I would find beautiful things. You can call it you can call it God. You can call it karma. You can call it the universe. Call it whatever you want to. There's there's an energetic connection that we have with the entire world around us and that a higher power that's very interested in us doing good and, and making a positive impact in the world. And, and countless times, and we'll go through a bunch of different stories, countless times where, where beautiful, amazing blessings, as you would call them, would come in to my financial world 
that were tied to decisions I made in making difference. For example, I uh, we're, we're going to get into some of the the, the child rescue work. Um, but at one point, there's a there's a big uh, TV radio uh, right wing talk show host named Glenn Beck, and Glenn wanted to launch his anti child trafficking campaign from Bangkok, Thailand. And it was going to cost a because I mean the, the the child trafficking problem in Thailand is horrific. There's there's approximately eight hundred thousand children, and and the sad thing about that, Josh, is that 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 almost half the children that we rescued there in Southeast Asia were sold by their own families, which is super sad. And and they they have five kids, and they so we can't put them back in a family where. They're going to be sold again. We have to find super healthy places for them to grow. And that's something we can talk about later. But back on this thing with Glenn, we it was going to cost $100,000 to send uh, Glenn and his team and, and take us all to uh, to Thailand to do this, this uh, filming of the kids and everything, the, the, the rescue is theirs. And I knew that he had a big, huge audience with amazing people that wanted to make a difference. And I, and, but we, at the time I was working with, uh, with another foundation, um, that, uh, we'll talk about later that, and they had, they had, you know, at the time, a thousand, 10,000 grandmas that were donating a, a dollar a month, you know, this was sacred money. I didn't, we didn't want to use that money and just blow a hundred thousand dollars to get Glenn and his team there. And so I decided that I would help make that happen. Myself and my business partner, Don, wrote the check and we we uh, we flew to Thailand and, and got a whole bunch of footage and rocked their world. Um, while we were there, um, uh, we were there was a, a guy that works with Glenn, um, uh, Jason Budrell, I think his last name is. Uh, he had done a lot of hardcore um, undercover journalism in Pakistan and places like that. And Glenn said, Hey, Glenn said, Paul, I, I really, he was talking to me and Tammy said, I really want to see this stuff firsthand. I want to see some children being sold, not just video in the orphanages and stuff like that. And, and we say, Glenn, that's, that's really dangerous. You know, you can't just go out in the two in the morning and talk with traffickers. He goes, Oh no, no, not me. He said, send my, send my guy, send Jason in with you. And so we went out that night. I took Jason and, and I had done some some pre-work that day and brought Jason in. And these traffickers brought this little nine-year-old girl. She must have been 45, 50 pounds, if that, tiny. And they had drugged her. And this was horrific, Josh. It was, it was, and 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 Jason said later, he said, you know, I've seen the atrocities of war. I have seen the worst parts of humanity. So I thought. But when I was there and I saw this little girl being offered up. He said, I, I could not believe how dark humanity has gotten to think that that's okay in any way. And it rocked his world. And he, he wrote this big article and they, they put it out back onto the charity thing. We, we flew back to, to the U S and as we landed, and I realized I had just written a hundred thousand dollar check between me and Don to make this, this trip happen. As we landed in the, the U S I had two voicemail messages pop up on my phone. One one of them was from a large investor that said, "Hey, Paul, I've been looking at your senior housing invest, investor fund, and I want to put another ten million dollars with you." And the other was from a bigger institution that said, "With even a bigger number." And my income from those two voicemail messages multiples exceeded the six figures that I just put into the charity work. 
And it happens every single time. And so that's, I, I tell people, I said, I'm, I'm not that, I'm not that charitable. I just, I just need help running my companies. And, you know, there's a higher power that does a better job than me. <laughs> and so, so I've, I've had this beautiful experience to be able to, to get directly involved in helping the kids, but at the same time, seeing amazing progress in the companies. It's incredible. It's incredible. You know, hearing some of these stories, you know, with the kids, like it makes my stomach turn. It actually like really bothers me. It gets me sick. Like, I don't know, like how, how, how are you able to deal with that? Like, I don't like, I don't, I'm very mentally tough. I don't know if I'd be able to handle that. Like I would probably lose well, it. Like, how do you like, like absolutely. Like, you know, I don't even like to even want to ask these questions because it like it's making me sick. But it's like it's, we need to bring awareness to it. It's very important. But like, how does something like that go down? And like, maybe you could talk a little bit about like a mission or, you know, without getting too crazy detail, because I don't want to really upset people. <laughs> you bet. But, you, know. you bet. I, I, I. Here's here's the thing. You, you Paul, you have you have children. Yes, I do. I've got I've got three boys and I've got a daughter. They're all grown now. Yep. Um, but, but yes, I, uh, let me give you this one example, because I think this is pretty powerful. So, um, and about seven, six, seven years ago, uh, probably seven, eight years ago, I, I was, I was dating a girl at the time and, um, uh, I had gone down undercover and I had identified a bunch of the, the traffickers that were there. And we had this sting coming up. I go deep cover. I go in at two in the morning and identify the, the worst part of humanity that's selling these children and make friends with them and, and, and set up a sting. There are all kinds of different ways that we do it. And I came back home because the sting was in about two weeks. And my girlfriend at the time, she, she, we were sitting talking at her kitchen table and she said, Paul, she said, this is, I'm really worried about you. I, I I don't want you to go back down. She said, she said, I, I just, I really don't want you to go. I, I want you to be safe. And, you know, I've got these young kids and you've got your kids from the previous marriage. She said, I just don't want you to go. And at the time there were, there, she had two little boys and they were playing with a, a, a girl that was in the neighborhood. They were just kind of playing over in the living room. And I remember, I think her name was Jessica or something. And I said, I said, hold on. I said, hey, Jessica, I said, come in here for a minute. And she came in and I said, how old are you? She said, I'm, I'm, I'm 10. I'm almost 11. I said, that's great. I said, what, what do you do for fun? And she said, well, I, I like to dance. I like to sing and I like to, to, to play and ride my bike. And I said, what, what do you want to do when you grow up? And she said, maybe be a dancer or maybe be a nurse. And I, and I turned back to my girlfriend at the time. I said, okay, go ahead and sit down. She had, she had beautiful dreams for a beautiful little 10, 11 year old girl, right? And I, and I turned back to my girlfriend and I said, the girls that those traffickers showed me yesterday were her age. And if I don't go back, they could be sold to somebody. And can you imagine the life they're going to live? They deserve to have dreams like her. They, they deserve to, to, to want to be a nurse. And so I realized if, if I have a certain set of skills, 
that make me safe, somewhat safe in that kind of a position. And they could use those skills in, in ways to, to, even if I just found one child, just one, it would be worth it. In fact, the, the very first mission that I ever did, um, where I, I got a phone call from uh, a guy you and, I, you and I both know named Tim. He, he was Homeland Security for a long time, and, and uh, he had found 20 children in Cartagena, Colombia. And then, and I helped to, to with some other guys, helped to fund about $50,000 to pull these kids out of hell. And he called me and he said, Paul, he said, I, uh, I'm here in Cartagena and there's, there's more than those 20 children. There's more like, like 50 here. And there's more than a hundred children in the surrounding areas that are tied to the same ring. He said, I, this is my very first mission. And he said, I, I, I believe we can rescue all of these children on the same day at the same time. And he said, but I need your help. And uh, if, if you're willing. And I said, well, how much do you need? And he said, I need you. Can you be in Columbia in two days? He knew more about my background than most people, but most importantly, he needed somebody who had a strong understanding in real estate. He had a, he had a, a, a trafficker down there who the head trafficker had this island that he, he had uh, inherited from his mom. And he wanted to develop it into a, child brothel sex resort, something like Jeffrey Epstein was doing, right? He needed $8 million to build it out. He felt like he could make tens of millions of dollars a year from horrible people that were coming down there for these horrible things. And, and, and Tim's idea was, Paul, if you come down and you tell him that you're willing to fund his project under one condition, he calls all the other traffickers that are in the area that he's connected with and get them to bring all their children to the same place at the same time for a party that you're going to have with you and your buddies. Then you're, in two weeks, you're going to come down with a bunch of your friends and, and have this party with these kids. And he said, we believe he'll make those calls and we'll be able to make that sting and, and rescue these kids. And I hang up the phone and my business partner, um, about a half an hour later, he had heard from my other partner that was there. He said, he calls me up and he goes, Paul, I just heard what you're thinking of doing. He said, have you thought through this? He said, this is really dangerous. He said, you're set. You could, you could sell out today and buy an island and be happy the rest of your life. And I said, John, would I really be happy if I bought an island, if I bought a yacht, if I bought a jet, if I another plane? What, would I really be happy? I said, and if I was doing something else dangerous tomorrow, if I was climbing Everest, you and I would have the same conversation. He goes, yeah, we would. And I said, when I'm 85 years old and I look back at my life and I say, I climbed this mountain, I helped build this multi-billion dollar company and I helped rescue this many children, which of them matters? So, so he's like, yeah, you're right. You've got to go. And so I went down there and the movie, The Sound of Freedom, that'll be coming out later this year. Jim Caviezel plays the part of the Homeland Security agent. He's and, and, and Tim and the, the actor who plays me is, is Eduardo Verostigi. 
He's one of the more famous actors in Mexico. And at the time we filmed it, I didn't need the world to know who I was. I was still doing undercover work. And so he doesn't play Paul Hutchinson. He plays Pablo Delgado, the billion dollar fund manager that quits his job to go help rescue kids. And uh, this story of this rescue and all of that stuff are all put into that movie. And it follows the story of some of these children and getting them back to their families. And, and the rehabilitation is such a beautiful light at the end of the tunnel. Wow, man. You know, do you think you'd be able to do what you're doing if you if you didn't achieve all the success you achieved? No. Yeah. Two reasons. Um, number one, on that very first rescue, it ended up being the largest child rescue in history that I know of up to that you, time. You rescued all those kids? Yeah, 127 children. 127 children in three separate cities. Jesus. Well, let me, before we even get into the, the question I just asked, how, how did that even go down? Like, was there, was yeah. there any problems with it? How, like, no, no. Here, so here's what like, happened. Did people try to like kill people. Like, well, what was that like? No, no. Here's, here's what happened. We, so we went in, um, first of all, we, we, I stayed in touch with, I, I'll, I'll just back up. I'll just tell you the details of it so you can kind of see how it works. So, so when, when Tim called me and said, Paul, can you be down here in two days? I I flew down to Cartagena, Colombia. We're sitting. Um, we we I get I get picked up at the airport by these two Navy SEALs. I mean, they're badass, and they're my real bodyguards and my show bodyguards. And these guys had told these traffickers, "Look, this uh, this big player's coming down." And um, you know, he he owns this. Uh, he he he's a big real estate investor or whatever, and and uh, he can he can negotiate whatever he needs. And so we I I come in. I've got this. I've got a four thousand dollar suit on. I've got a you know, fifty thousand dollar watch, and I'm 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 living large on purpose, right? I'm going in because this is the kind of f-tards that are going down and doing this stuff, right? They're they're ultra successful guys, and so I go in. Um, he Tim said, "Have a big ego. Just come in with a big ego." I uh, I don't have a problem doing that sometimes, right? <laughs> so 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 I, I fly in and um, and. And these guys picked me up and they got us full armored bulletproof car and stuff. And these guys are sitting at this, this restaurant, um, this over this overlook over the beach. And we pull in in this, this armored car and these guys get out and they look around and stuff and making a show out of it. Right. And they yeah. open up after they make sure that everything, the whole coast is clear. They open up my door and I get out and these guys are like, they're pissing and pencil. They're like, Oh crap, this is the guy. Right. So then they come in upstairs and we've got a, uh, a Homeland security agent there. We've got a former, uh, some, some, the FBI equivalent in, in Columbia. I think they're like CSI. I can't remember what they called, but anyway, these guys were all this guy that was uh, Matt was uh, used was undercover for 14 years with uh, um, with uh, I think the FBI or, or uh, anyway, all of these guys were there already with these guys. Right. And they had undercover cameras that were there that were inside of these backpacks and stuff so they could gather, you know, whatever intel they needed. And I come in and I sit down with these guys and there's four traffickers. There's three males and one female. This female was, she used to be like, I don't know if she was Miss Cartagena. She was a, she was a beauty queen. And, 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 and because of that had some credibility, but she was going around to towns in South America and sit, telling the parents, oh, your daughter's too pretty to be working in the field. She should be a model. And they would bring these kids to a photo shoot or whatever else, and boom, they'd be gone. And this whole story I'm telling you is actually 
in the movie, The Sound of Freedom, the one that's, that's coming out. So this this whole thing is there. We, we actually took eight different rescue missions and put them all together in, in that one and some roles of some different operators. We put them all in there as part of, of what Jim was doing, et cetera. So, um, so they're, they're, we're sitting at this table and, and some of them don't speak very good English. So a lot of this stuff that I'm telling you was actually translated because um, my Spanish sucks. And we're sitting there and one of the traffickers leans forward and he says, Pablo, he was so excited. I was willing to look at his project. He goes, Pablo, he says, I have a gift for you. I said, really, what's your gift? And he leans forward and he gives me his phone. It shows me his phone and, and on it, there's a picture of an 11 year old girl. He says, this is princess. She's still a virgin. We just took delivery of some. And she's my gift for your party. He started talking about these horrible things I could do to this little girl. And I thought, oh my, hell, if we could get these children out before they're ever hurt the first time, that's a miracle. And something he said made me realize he had more than her. I said, Fredo, I said, you, you, uh, you, you have more virgins? Oh, yeah, I got three or four more. You have to bring those to the party, too. He goes, oh, no. I said, they're, they're, they're too expensive. Too expensive. I'm already paying $25,000, you know. For that party, according to them. So we're, we're paying 25000 for this party. And, and he says, he goes, yeah, he says, they're, they're too expensive. He says, you already paid 25000 He says, you want to F a, uh, some more virgins? It's going to cost you maybe 2000 for the, the and 5000 for that little one. More, it'll cost you like 10000 more. I was so pissed. I'm, he's talking about these children like they're commodities, right? And, and I, I've got this nice suit on, and I'm like, you don't think I can afford an extra $10,000? He's like, oh no, Hefe, no. As every, I said, I want every one of those virgins at my party. They damn well better be virgins when they get there. And the, the Navy SEAL that was standing behind me, his name was Dutch. He was standing behind me. He had to excuse himself and go walk around the restaurant and stuff. Because uh, later when we were debriefing, he said, I almost unholstered my gun and shot him right there. He says, that little girl looked just like my daughter at home. And so I won't go into the details of what happened next because it's kind of dark with them talking about these kids. But then two weeks later, we go back down and these guys, we, the, our, the team meets with the, the Colombian federal agents and the U.S. Embassy and the Colombian, Colombian federal agents provided 40 agents. Four of them were our, our maids, four of them were our waiters, four of them were our cooks. You know, they're, they're not very good cooks, but they're armed. <laughs> I thought they were going to blow the cover of everybody because they brought out this cheese plate with nothing to cut it with and no cheese on it. <laughs> I mean, no, no, it wasn't sliced up or anything. And so it, it was, it was sort of like, okay, you know, don't blow the cover yet. So then the, uh, there was actually three separate cities that were being done at the same time because we knew they were all connected. So they actually brought 54 children to Cartagena and uh, the other ones were in Medellin and Armenia. Uh, there was kind of an Operation Triple Take is what we called it. And so I was there in the Cartagena one. And these guys showed up. And to make sure that everything was safe, when these guys show up to the boats, I had a bunch of our foremost Special Forces guys, Green Berets, Navy SEALs that met them that were there as supposedly my security, right? And so they're looking, they're, they're, they're telling them, listen, no guns, no knives, no problem. We're going to meet a bunch of fun, it's just a big party, right? So they take all the weapons, even check the girls' purses, make sure there's no weapons on them and put them on the boat. And then they bring, actually multiple boats come out and they land and all these children get off. And this, this guy, um, this guy named Fuego, 
he was standing there, one of the traffickers, he was standing there and, and he was saying to one of the other operators, he said, he said, uh, he said, yeah, he said that, you, you see that little 10 year old, you know, she was talking these horrible things. And, and, and as this other operator came over to me, because he of course knew what was all going down, he, his, his, I can't say the word on here, but he said, Fuego is effed, <laughs> you know, because we knew what was going to happen in half an hour, but these kids were all there and we, we, we put the kids in a separate place of the inside the house because we don't want them to see the guns and the money changing hands and everything else. And they're in there and we're sitting out on this table area outside negotiate. So I'm there in the center of the table. These guys are all standing and, and we're supposed to get all of the information on camera so the children never have to stand trial. So this is a dark conversation where we're asking them. Hey, so what is this one willing to do? Why are they here? Why, what's this one willing to do? And we're capturing it all so that can be turned in as evidence against these guys. And a few, and like 10, 15 minutes into it, one of the guys stands up and he goes, he goes, Pablo, he said, I have to show you the gifts that I brought you. And he goes in the house where the children were and he was in there for about 10 minutes. And we could hear some of the children crying. And he came back out. And he has four virgins, scared to death. Three little girls, one little boy. This little boy was 11 years old. They had taken him from Haiti, I believe. This, this, this Fuego guy had given him cocaine that morning because he was so scared it was going to hurt. What kind of effed up monster thinks that that's attractive? I was so glad it was us there and not some monster. And, and, and I'm sitting there in this chair. And this little girl standing up wasn't any taller than I was as I was sitting down. And there was there was tear stains on her makeup face. This was the same little girl he showed me in the picture that he called Princess. And 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 every cell in my body wanted to hug her and say, "You're going to be fine. You're going to see your parents again. Just wait just a few minutes." She was looking at me with this fear in her eyes, and I thought, "No, that's not, I'm not that guy." And and she, I I, I I took her little hands and she was shaking, and I said, "Como se llama? What's your name?" She, she didn't remember her name. She couldn't remember her name. I'm sure it's because her real name wasn't Princess, right? And I, I said, SWN, it's okay. This was the hardest moment for me to see that. And, and they went back in the house. I told the traffickers, sit back in the house. Let's finish negotiating here. And then, then we're supposed to order tequila. When, when we're all done with the, with the we got everything all there. We're, we, we're supposed to say, okay, uh, let's start time for the party. Order tequila. That was the sign for our, our waiters to go in and radio and 25 special operatives are supposed to come and storm the whole party and arrest us all, right? So we ordered tequila. And two minutes later, it was supposed to hit. Two minutes passes, five minutes passes, 10 minutes, 15, 20, 25. 45 minutes later is when they actually showed up. What had happened, we found out later, is that one of the, the, uh, the, the lady who was ahead of the um, Child Protective Services actually slept through her alarm that morning and missed the boat coming in. And so she was so high power that she said, do not do this thing until I'm there. And we're like, we didn't know this at the time. And we're like, five minutes after you ordered tequila, the guys are like, okay, uh, it's time for the party to start. Uh, I'll go get the cocaine. You go get the girls. And we're like, ooh, ooh, we can't go get the girls right now. We got to figure something. And so at this point, it was a true miracle that I was there as a successful business owner. Because here's what happened. I said, I said, you know what? Um, before you go get, if you go get the girls and the cocaine, I'm going to be effed up for the next few days. I'm going to be super happy, but you know, I'm going to be effed up. So uh, you've already proven to me 
that you could provide what you said you could provide. So why don't we do this? Somebody get me a piece of paper, get a piece of paper and a pen. I want to draw out a business plan right now, right now. Let's do that. Let's, let's negotiate this deal because you proved to me that you could do it. So they bring out this piece of paper and I start writing down, asking them questions. Okay, let's draw this resort that you want to do. What's it going to look like? Okay. And, uh, and how many, um, uh, and how many children are you going to bring in and how many do you have right now? And what other connections? And I'm putting all this together. And then, then it starts getting dark because I ask them how much it costs them to bring in because I needed to create a real business plan. I'm trying to delay, delay, delay. I'm telling you, Josh, this business plan pencil, that's what's scary. It cash flowed like no business you can imagine because of the amount of money. It's, I was like, this is, this is the reason for this problem is the fact that this cash flows so well. And you know, they were writing down things like, okay, how much does it cost for a little girl from Colombia? What does it cost for a little girl from America? You know, and what does it cost for a virgin? And, and I won't go as dark, but this business plan was dark. And, and then I'm like, these guys still haven't got here yet. What's, what's going on? I have to delay it some more. And so I said, okay, let's now do a business plan for uh, the modeling agency that you guys have, right? Because that's going to bring in a lot of fresh ones. And so I, I negotiated that and then still nothing. So then I said, guys, okay, I love it. I love where we're going here. Uh, I never invest in anything unless I'm in control. I'm taking 55%. You guys have got 45% to work with. And there's these, all these traffickers that are there. And I said, and, and, you know, I pointed at one of them and I said, you've done the most work. I think you should probably get, you know, 25% and the rest of these guys can split the other 20%. Uh, you know what? Why don't you guys work that? And blew, these traffickers start just arguing with each other. It was beautiful. They were arguing and, and trying to negotiate. No, I get this percentage, whatever else. And, and we let them argue until the agent showed up. Boom, they come in, they arrest all of us, throw us out on the ground. I get handcuffed. All of us are handcuffed on the ground. And then they they take the traffickers off on one of the boats before they take us off. And then as they're leading us off, that and before we were leading us off, we were laying there. I'm laying there getting handcuffed. And uh, um, the 30 child protective services people came in with the children. And they started laughing and singing with the children just to calm them down. And that sound of freedom was the most beautiful sound that I ever heard. I, I started crying, especially compared to the crying we heard half an hour before. I started crying and I, I turned to, to Sean and I said, I said, holy crap. I said, you, I, I changed my life. I said, I, the story, I whole, hearing the story is like, oh, man. I, I said, I said, I've spent my whole life making rich people richer. I want, I want to make a difference. Um, what can I do? What do you want? And he said, Paul, he said, unfortunately, the majority of demand for this horrible act in second and third world countries comes from wealthy business owners and high powered people in political things, et cetera, in first world countries. He said, I can't teach the Navy SEALs how to wear a $4,000 suit and a $50,000 watch and negotiate a multi-million dollar deal. He said, and I, I, I don't know of a, a ultra successful business owner who's had that has the skills that you have. He said, if you're willing to be the bait, I'll change your whole life. So I've, I've led missions in, in 15 countries and I, I have been completely code silent for the last 10 years. 
I haven't had a social media that talked about it at all. And less than two weeks, just over two weeks ago, I did my first public podcast talking about business success and tying it in with the charity work and sharing these stories because I've, I'm done doing the undercover work. I believe that there are better people than me that can do that work, number one. Number two, I come with credibility because of the companies that I've built and the missions that I've led. And I've been in the deepest, darkest depravity of human nature and seeing that firsthand. And I, one, of my, one of my mentors from history is a guy by the name of William Wilberforce. William lived in the 1700s. And before his time, it was fully legal worldwide to sell another human being. And he thought, you know what? I need to figure out how to make a difference here. And he was a, a wealthy, well-spoken, connected businessman who had seen children in chains. And he said, okay, what can I do? I need to show this to the world. And so what he did is he would have dinner uh, big dinner events on his his yacht or his ship, whatever it was in the 1700s. And in the middle of that that uh, dinner, he would have the the captain of the ship take it and then park it next to the slave ships. And the sound of the 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 screaming and the smell of the blood and everything, it would shake up his his dinner party of all these wealthy politicians, wealthy wealthy business owners and politicians and, and ultra connectors. And then he would have the ship pull away and he would say, now I have your attention. Now let's talk about what needs to happen to change this. I believe that because of the fact that I'm a, a wealthy, well-spoken businessman who has seen children in that condition, that I can then take that and say, okay, what do we need to do to help people heal, how to fix this problem? And, and I realized, Josh, that one child being sold is unacceptable. Eight million is beyond comprehension. But even that is a teeny tiny number compared to the real problem, the, the source of where this tsunami of demand is coming from. For a while, I thought that the demand was coming from uh, pornography addiction, that people just get super hardcore addicted and they go down this dark road and they want something harder and harder. And pretty soon they're looking at something they wouldn't have even thought was attractive five years ago. I, I thought that that was part of the demand until I really started digging into it. And I realized that, that if you're in a room here in the U.S., and you've got five men in that room, one out of every five of them, 20% of all men in the U.S. and probably higher around the world have experienced sexual violence towards themselves sometime in their life. And so that's, that's approximately 800 million men have had that kind of, and, and one fourth of them, 200 million of them was under the age of 10 years old. Okay, so these guys have had this childhood trauma. This isn't just going down to Columbia. This is childhood trauma that they're growing up with. And I thought, if I can create programs and if I can teach people how to let go of that trauma, how to cleanse themselves to the point where they can step forward into a place where they don't have this screwed up version of sexuality in their mind, because what happens is they grow up and then all of a sudden now they, they and here's the crazy thing, the average age of somebody who comes forth and, and either remembers or verbally says, yes, I was abused as a child. The average age is 52 years old. That's my age. 
they've lived most of their adult life holding this trauma. And the, the number of women is double. It's 40% of all women in the U.S. have experienced that kind of trauma. And, and one-fourth of them was when they were children. So, so I realized that just going undercover and rescuing 20 children at a time was never going to fix the problem. I'll fund other organizations that are doing that through the Child Liberation Foundation. But I realized that my purpose is not just to pull a 10-year-old out of the clutches of a trafficker in Honduras or Ecuador. My job is to help rescue the 10-year-old inside of a 30- or 40-year-old man or woman who has dealt with that kind of trauma and help them heal before they become contact offenders themselves. If we can heal generational trauma, we will save millions, tens of millions of children from that kind of trauma, not just a thousand, a hundred at a time, 20 at a time, et cetera. So, so that's, that's kind of what's brought me full circle to this point where now for the first time ever, I'm going public with these stories so that people can, number one, see that, yes, there's a problem, but also understand that we as a society can fix this problem by helping people heal that generational trauma that's causing the problem in the first place. Wow, Paul. Look, you know, that was the main reason why I wanted you on the show. I've never done a show like this ever before, and I want to obviously raise, you know, extreme awareness about it. And I just want to thank you. Like, I feel like I owe you something because it's just so <laughs> It's just really special what what you what you what you've done, man. You know, like, and 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 I'm not saying this in a negative manner, and I'm sure you'll agree, but like, remove all the accolades and all the success you've had, like, that story right there and what you've done is 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 the most impressive thing ever. Like the the amount of not just the resilient of the resiliency of your mindset and no fear and like that had you like you had to be scared, right? Like you you had to be. Right. Were you were like, like, did you have some anxiety during that whole like that I, I did? Like... Let, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story to, to kind of wrap that in that I think is super important. Um, so so I was asked to come to Haiti with uh, with Glenn Beck and some others in which he wanted to film some of the children that were rescued in 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 the orphanages that were there. And I took my son with me, and this was kind of a difficult time in my life. I had uh, I had just gotten a divorce um, from uh, from his mom, my wife, and you know he's twenty. He at this time was twenty two years old. He was trying to figure out if I was still a good guy or not, you know. And so I I took him. We put him on a, a Gulfstream jet. We fly down to Texas. We pick up Glenn back, and we go to Haiti. And he's there as we're going through all of these orphanages and seeing some of the children and that, you know, that the, the, the rehabilitation places that were there, et cetera. It was, it was about 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday night. We were flying back home at 6 a.m. the next morning. And uh, Tim, the Homeland Security agent who was working with that foundation at the time, comes to me and he said, Paul, he said, I've had teams out on the ground for the last five days. They haven't found any real leads with with traffickers uh you're one of the best i've worked with can you go out with them and i knew that it meant i'd get no sleep that night i, I had my my son stay in the hotel and i went out that night and connected with the top trafficking organizations in the country that ended up later um over super bowl sunday with the 
with the largest child rescue that that they had done in Haiti uh, with 34 children. But I'll tell you how he did it in a second, because this is important on, on the fear thing. So the next morning we get on the plane and Tim had just gotten briefed by some of the Green Berets, Navy SEALs that were out with us. And he he shakes his head and he he says to, to uh, my son and Glenn, this was kind of my crowning moment at the time. He said, he said, you know, in 14 years and working with the Homeland Security, CIA, working with FBI agents, he said, one of the best undercover operators I've seen is Paul Hutchinson. And Glenn turns to me and he said, why is that? You, you, you haven't had any government training. What, what is it that you do differently? And I, I told him this. I said, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what happened last night. We were about, about two in the morning. We hadn't found any real connections to any traffickers. And I, I told some of the guys that were with me, I said, can, can I take lead? Are you, are you good with that? They said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're good. You know, no, Tim said, you're good at this. I said, okay, you need to follow exactly what I say. I said, first things first, I need you to understand that I believe in God. Some people call him the universe or Allah or whatever. I said, there's a, there's a higher power that cares more about these kids than you and I ever could and knows exactly where they are. So, and, and I told them a story and this, this was, this is super powerful. In fact, this lines into everything. I said, I said, most people think that faith is going to church and asking God to fix things in their life that they don't believe are going to be fixed. That's not faith. Faith is an actual power that all of us have the ability. It's manifestation. It's visualization. It's being able to control the, and harness the powers of the universe to come together and create in your life. It's not, it's not just the law of attraction. It in reality is the law of creation. It is something where when you really understand that your actions create, your words create, and even your thoughts create, then you'll start to harness them. The problem is, is that most people have a hard time with unwavering conviction about anything. Should I marry this new woman? Should I, should I go to this new job? Should I move to this new country? I don't. And, and, and it's because they, they're confused as to what their God wants or whatever. It's easy for me, and, and this is where I was able to get this training, it's easy for me to have unwavering conviction that I'm going to find these kids. Because I don't care if God's a man or a woman or a mountain or a sky or whatever, there's not a higher power anywhere with this okay with a child being raped, period. And so it's easy for me to, to say, okay, I'm going to have unwavering conviction that, that, that we're going to find them. And then I told him a story about how in my early 20s, I met a man who, his name was Jerry Prine. He, he unfortunately died in 2010, but he, he only read on a third grade level. His dad was an alcoholic. His mom was in a mental institution, all these challenges. He was a life of crime. As an adult, he read on a third grade level, if that. Yet he was the inventor of over 300 different life-saving medical devices. And the original software that voice recognition was that IBM used voice recognition to build off of, et cetera. And I went to lunch with him and he said to me something that changed my life. He said, Paul, he said, you could have an IQ at 200 if you want it. And I said, no, I'm really not that smart. I work my butt off for my grades. He goes, no, he said, the difference between me and you is that I listen better than you. And I said, you listen better than me? 
He said, no, I listen better than you. And he touched his heart. He said, most people discount their intuitions because they, they, they doubt themselves. They don't know where they came from. They don't understand that every single one of us are connected to each other, heart to heart to heart, to, to the world around us, to the universe around us. And when we understand that and we start listening then and following it, it will guide you. And so, you know, I, I told these Navy SEALs this, this story and they're like, okay, dude, whatever. I said, okay, just drive, just drive. And they're driving. I said, okay, stop right there. That motorcycle gang, you know, the, 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 the guy, yeah, right there. Well, what are we going to do? Well, this is a super dangerous area of town. And, and they said, well, we need to survey the area first. Well, we don't have time for that. So we, we, we got out. There was this guy in this motorcycle and he had, he had his gun. It was, he pulled his shirt up and there was a gun that was sick, sitting there in his, in his pants. And I'm just listening. And I said, I, I pulled out a hundred dollar bill and I just handed it to him. He goes, what's that for? I says, that's for you. You keep it. I said, I got another one for you. If, if you can help me with something. Now I knew I could feel that he had a connection. I knew it absolutely as sure as I'm sitting here. I knew it. And I said, I said, I got a guy coming, you know, in a, in a few weeks, pretty rich friend, interested in some horrible things. I didn't say horrible things. I said, I said, he's interested in 10 year olds. And he goes, I know somebody who can get that. I knew he did, right? Now, here's the thing. Fear and faith cannot exist in the same person at the same time on the same subject. The reason behind it is that in a way, they're the same power. People that believe bad things will happen to them attract that into their life. People that believe good things actually attract that into their life. And so, so because of that, when, when I'm in that situation, I feel safer there than I do sitting in my own house here at home because I know that there's a reason behind it. And when you have that complete unconditional love and, and unwavering conviction or faith, then, then miracles happen in your life. Miracles happen in finding these children, in protecting the team. And in building the companies, everything is tied to this. And, you know, this isn't a religious conversation in any way. I think that unfortunately, a lot of religions get in the way of people tapping into this beautiful tool that they have inside of them to be able to create and expand in ways that they never dreamed possible. So there's, there's kind of the, the rest of the story on, on why going in those places we feel, and plus we're super protective. I've got, I've got freaking green berets, Navy SEALs, some guys that really know their stuff. And I have some training myself that, that makes me safe in those places. But, but most importantly, I, um, my goal is to, is to just listen and be guided, but Fast forward, like we talked about before, just going in undercover, rescuing these. And, and you, you mentioned in the intro that there was 43. We actually counted. If you count every single independent time that I went in and before they actually came through for a full rescue mission, whatever else, each one of those, it, it ends up being over 70 over the last 10 years wow. and in the, in the darkest places of the world. But I can, I can go into that darkness. I can come out and just like William Wilberforce, I can say, I have been to the pit of hell. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about healing. Let's talk about out ascension. Let's talk about raising the vibration. Let's, let's talk about what it's going to take to fix this problem worldwide. And, and that's what my, my first book coming out is going to be called, Are You Listening? 
And, and it's going to talk about each one of those, those rescue stories and how using those things was able to help find the kids, but how you can use it in your life to, to help direct you into a happier marriage or a, or a more successful company or whatever it is to help you direct those tools and understand that it's not just the, the receiving end, it's the expanding as well. And, and those tools that we can use to help heal trauma, to help guide us in a place where we live in this world of, of fake news on the left and fake news on the right. We live in a world where we don't know, do we, do we trust our doctors or do we, do we not? Do we trust our politicians? Do we not? We, everybody's sick. They're sick and tired of being lied to. And they don't know how to differentiate truth. That, I mean, even, even the media can produce a video that is a total fake. So how do we trust our eyes and our ears? We have to learn how to trust something else. Powerful, man. That's really powerful. So before we finish up, Paul, you know, my question before we got into, we kind of sidetracked and got into this was, like, does it affect you as far as what you've seen and what you've heard? And I'm sure what you've probably witnessed, like, does that, are you able to block that out? Like, what is, what is that like? It's heavy. And um, I'm going to touch on something that I haven't touched on yet, but I think it's important. Um, trauma healing of the victims, especially, and trauma healing now of, 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 you know, a lot of the operators I've gone with have got PTSD from being in the service. And, you know, we've seen eight-year-olds in chains in horrible positions, right? And, and how can you wash that and get to a point where you can just clean? And, and, and this is a problem not only for me, having dealt with that and seen that myself, we're talking billions of people who have had trauma themselves, right? Firsthand as children, this trauma. So how do we help people release that trauma? How do we help them get into a clean, beautiful place where they can move forward? Um, there's a lot of tools that um, unfortunately, some of the most amazing tools were thrown under, under the bus in the late sixties. Okay. There are certain herbs that can be used to heal the body. There are other holistic tools and herbs that can help heal the mind and help let go of trauma. Now, um, and, and unfortunately in the U S they were classified as schedule one in the late sixties. Now, I'm not talking about cocaine and heroin and all this crap that's really bad for you. I'm talking about things like, like psilocybin and white lily and, and things that are, that are different types of, of psychedelics that if you go down to Mexico or you go to Colombia or places like that, and you can do a guided meditation cleansing ceremony, it is, John Hopkins did some studies and found that 78% of people who, who did a guided meditation plant medicine journey experience with a facilitator, 78% of them said it was the number one most transformational 24 hours of their life. And so, you know, I think things are going to be coming out. I've sponsored some bills to legalize those tools in, in Utah and, and nationwide and some other places. They're super powerful, but they need to be used in a place where you've got a trained facilitator and 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 uh, people who understand and respect those tools and so we're helping to form some legislation that allows doctors to be able to use those in a way to help people really get rid of trauma and ptsd so you know those are some of the things that some of my operators have used which have been super super effective for them um but 
you know, I, I hold on to this light inside of me. I can be in the pit of darkness. And, and I, for Halloween last year, I actually went as a, as a, as an angel in devil's clothing, right? I had this black cape around the outside, but inside it was all white with light and everything else. I could open it up because that's, that's what I kept inside. But sometimes I had to pretend like I was that darkness to be able to connect with the traffickers and find the children. Wow. Powerful episode. What, what, what can people do to help? Like, first of all, where can people find you? What can people do to help? Absolutely. I'm, um, you can go to uh, Child Liberation Foundation. It's liberateachild.org or liberatechildren.org. We'll both take you there. Um, the, uh, we're changing some things on the site. Right now, it's all about fighting child trafficking. We're expanding it to helping to heal, et cetera. Uh, right now, um, all of my my Facebook, LinkedIn, everything else is all under Paul Hutchinson official. Uh, I think we're going to change it to something a little bit shorter. I, I actually, I think I'm going to use Soul Healer 007. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> something like that. It'll be easy. So, but right now they can go to Paul Hutchinson official and uh, and and follow. We're putting out a lot of new material. Um, some trauma healing things, a lot of different tools they can use and some other videos. So um, we're going to, we're going to help heal the world one person at a time, but thank you for, thank you for letting me share some of these things on your podcast. And, you know, we can go on for hours on, you know, building companies and, and using some of these tools that we just touched on, on, on visualization, manifestation, real goal setting, and how to create a life of abundance in that way. You know, so if we ever wanted to have another podcast where we're specifically on those, then then we can, we, I, I think it's really beautiful to, you know, that, that you're able to allow me to share some of the stories. I know that it's dark, but at the same time, we need to understand that we can't just stick our head in the sand and expect things to get better. We, we need to, as a world, as a community, we need to come together and say, okay, how can we heal? How can we stop the demand for this problem? What do we need to do in our families to help people heal so that they never get to a point where that's okay? I agree 100%. And that's why I wanted to do this. And that's why I want to spread more awareness about it. And I appreciate you jumping on, Paul been great guys please you know you follow paul you go to those websites you know please help out and support it and uh as always continue to fuel your drive legend